All right, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. The message tonight, the title tonight is A Message of Doom for Babylon. A Message of Doom for Babylon. Here in chapter 13, it brings us to a totally different section. The tone suddenly changes. Chapters 13 through 23 contain burdens, or the word can mean messages. Burdens or messages that are to be carried out on the surrounding nations. A burden is something that you bear. And these burdens are judgments of God that are going to be brought upon these nations. You could use the word judgment for burden, and it would mean the same thing. Most of the prophetic judgments have already been fulfilled. They're now facts of history. And each of these nations has some contact with Israel And most of them were border nations or they weren't very far away. Israel suffered at the hands of some of them. And Israel still suffers today at the hands of some of them. And will suffer again in the future. Some of the names here are familiar. Egypt is one. But some of these judgments will take place in the future. The main characteristic of this section is that much has been fulfilled And as of today, is fulfilled prophecy. In this section, the Assyrian is no longer the oppressor. Another group of nations headed by Babylon takes his place. It wasn't pleasant for the prophet to give this kind of message. Because it was a message of doom and gloom. And you know, when when you're speaking God's word, sometimes what you hear really isn't what you want to hear. or It's not very comforting and you don't make a lot of friends. But God's prophets were not in a popularity contest. They were called to preach the word of God. Babylon is the subject of the first judgment. And it suggests that that many, it suggests many things to the person who's, you know, uh, an avid Bible reader and one who's dedicated to scripture. First of all, the literal city of Babylon is the main consideration here. Babylon in Isaiah's day Uh, wasn't an important place. And it wasn't until 100 years later that Babylon became a world power. And God pronounced judgment on Babylon before it became a nation. So this section doesn't end with the judgments on the surrounding nations, but it goes through six woes in chapters 28 through 33, and it ends up with peace and blessing after the storm in chapter 34 and 35. These last two chapters, again, give us a picture of the millennium, Christ's thousand-year reign upon the earth. And here we're going to see Babylon punished in the day of the Lord, looking forward to the great tribulation period for its final fulfillment. So let's begin in chapter 13 with verse 1. And it reads, The burden or the message or the judgment against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. The literal city of Babylon in history is the subject in this chapter and also in chapter 14. Babylon became one of the great cities of the ancient world. It became the first great world power and it's recognized as as so also in Daniel's prophecy. King Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold of Babylon. He was the king of the first great world power. Babylon will be built in the future. Babylon is the symbol of a united rebellion that's against God, which began at the Tower of Babel. 
uh, Babel. And it will end in Revelations chapter 17 and 18, where we're going to see religious and political Babylon ruling the world at that time. During the Great Tribulation period, Babylon is going to be brought down by God's judgment. Look at verse 2. It goes on to say, Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. This is a command to raise the flag on the top of a hill. Because the top of, uh, the top of a hill, it's a, it's a place that's easily seen for the men who are called to battle. The gates of the nobles there mentioned in verse 2 are the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. This, this is where the soldiers would gather and enter as conquerors. Verse 3, I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. What the Lord says here is, you know, I've dedicated these soldiers for this job. I've called these mighty warriors to express my anger, you know, to show his anger on the people and they'll rejoice when I'm exalted. The word sanctified here, it means set apart for a specific use by some agency. It's being set apart for some specific use. Now, he's not referring to their moral character. All right? Uh, the sanctified, you know, righteousness set apart. He's talking, about, uh, uh, he, he's talking about being appointed. They've been set apart. These people have been set apart, and they've been chosen instruments for this warfare. God says here, notice, I have also called my mighty ones, the Medes and the Persians, for my anger. He did the same thing with Assyria, remember? Back in chapter 10, verse 5, God said through Isaiah, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. So Assyria was God's instrument back in chapter 10 for bringing judgment against Israel. God used Assyria to punish his people. And then he judged Assyria after he did. This is what he's going to do with Babylon. Anything can be sanctified if it's set apart for God. Assyria and Babylon were set aside to punish Israel. They were instruments used in God's hands for a specific purpose. So when Babylon was destroyed, and we read prophetically that it was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians... It wasn't destroyed by a partnership of nations from all over the world. So this prophecy that he's speaking about here, this destruction of Babylon wasn't fulfilled in the overthrow of Babylon by the Medo-Persian Empire. But it becomes clear that Isaiah is talking about another destruction of Babylon that's still future, which would be done by a partnership of many nations that God would bring together for the sole purpose of destroying Babylon. Verse 4, the noise of a multitude in the mountains like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. This, 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 this noise that he's talking about here in verse 3, uh, th- this noise, of the, uh, in the, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 4, in the multitudes, you know, it's, this sound is the sound, this noise is the noise of a coming army in the mountains. Isaiah, in his mind, sees the troops getting closer. They're approaching. It's the commotion of kingdoms of nations joining together. Cyrus's armies were mixed peoples, many nations coming from different governments that made up Persia. Cyrus conquered the states of Persia, one after another, so that they joined up with him, and his army grew. 
And now they're in the mountains. They're gathering together for the final attack. And that's the noise of the multitude there in verse 4 that, that Isaiah is describing in the mountains there. And so Jehovah, who controls all armies, is gathering his army here for war. Just like the time that he brought Assyria against Judah, he's gathering the Medes against the land of Babylon. Verse 5. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. Now this can't refer to the Medes and the Persians because they were neighbors to Babylon. Notice it says they were coming from a far country. They were coming from the end of heaven. The word indignation here is a word that's used over and over again in the Old Testament. And it's used for the great tribulation of God that God had said was going to come uh, upon the world in the last days. But it's clear that Isaiah's prophecy describes something more significant than the ups and downs of an ancient city. The prophets often began a message by focusing on the local events, what was going on in the area. But then they expanded their vision to reveal something that was greater. So Isaiah saw in the fall of Babylon a picture of the day of the Lord. He mentions it here in verse 6. Verse 9 and 13. And the time, it's the time when God will pour out his wrath upon the whole world, verse 11 says. The image of the woman in the pains of childbirth in verse 8, it's used to describe a time of judgment where sorrow, sorrows are birth pains. So Isaiah was looking beyond that day to the day when the Babylonian world system would be destroyed. And we see that in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Look at verse 6 now. Wail for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord. In Isaiah's day, this spoke of the surprise invasion by the Medes and the Persians. We see that in Daniel 5. Looking ahead, it speaks of the great tribulation period from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 13. Verse 7. Therefore... All hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt. In other words, the enemy that's being led by the Lord is coming. And in, and in, in his day, that is in, on God's day, in his time, he's going to bring total ruin to Babylon. And because of this sudden and overwhelming attack, it says here in verse 7 that the hands of the men... The hands being where man's power comes from, where man's power exists, they're going to become basically useless. He says they're going to hang useless, helpless. They're not going to be able to resist the enemy. Their courage is going to disappear without any willpower. Fear and terror is over all of them. In other words, who can stand on the day of the Lord's coming? Verses 8 and 9. Notice, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. The tribulation uh, spoken of here is is spoken of as a time of struggle. The tribulation is spoken of as a time of trouble, like a woman, you know, having her birth pains. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a time of struggle. It's going to be a time when men are struggling. The day of the Lord opens with this, with this time of struggling. And now this identifies it as the great tribulation. 
Isaiah has a lot to say about divine judgment coming upon men. You know, when you speak of divine judgment, when you think of, talk to people about, you know, when we're going through a drought or a famine or some disaster, you know, you say, you know, I believe it's God's hand upon us. What do they do? They say, come on now. They mock. People constantly mock the idea of coming divine judgment. Even when great tragedies happen, like I said, it's not popular to say it's God's judgment. People don't want to admit that God brings judgment upon the earth. Because again, many times their thought is God is a loving God. And He is. Why would God do that? Why would God allow such tragedy upon the earth and, and upon so many people? But verse 9 says that He does. And that that judgment is coming. And if you're smart, you'll prepare for it so that you won't be condemned by it when God judges the earth. Because that judgment is going to be very severe. And it's going to be very painful. Divine judgment is not some petty thing. It's not a lightweight thing. It's going to devastate evil. It's going to be devastating to evil. And it's going to bring a lot of loss. And it's going to bring a lot of sorrow. And when it comes, men are not going to be able to, I mean, they can complain. But they can't complain because, you see, they have been appropriately warned. They have been warned about how to live. And so, you know, when it comes, you will experience some real problems. Judgment will bring great sufferings to people. In the New Living Translation, it says here in verse 8 and 9, the land will be made desolate and all the sinners destroyed with it. Land and sinners both are going to be destroyed. The destruction of the land, it says, is, is to make it desolate. In other words, buildings will be destroyed. The ground is going to be ruined. It's going to be made unproductive. The destruction of the sinner consists of the citizens being removed from the land. And in Bible times, conquered nations were often taken captive and they were transported to the victorious nations and and were made slaves as as part of their judgment. And, And their freedoms were taken away. Look at verse 10. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. This is prophesied again by Jesus in Matthew 24, 29. Where Jesus said immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Revelation 8.12 tells us, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Verse 11, I will punish the world for its evil. Notice that. I will punish the world for its evil. What does that say about us? And the wicked, for their iniquity, I will halt, notice the arrogance of the proud, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. These are serious words that God is speaking here. God says, I'm going to punish the world for its evil, for their evil. And man, we are living in an evil world today. 
We are living in a world today that is moving towards judgment. Again, judgment is not a, a happy or popular subject. But we need to think seriously about God's judgment so that we can do whatever necessary to avoid it and let others know. In verse 11, in this judgment, it, there's three things that said about it. God's judgment is a sure thing. Notice it says, I will punish. I will. Not I might. Maybe. No, I will. God's judgment is a sure thing. He says, I will punish. And when God says, I will, stand back. It's as good as done. Because God keeps his word. He's not a man that he should lie. There's a lot of things that we can't be sure of today. But there is one thing that we can be sure of. And the psalmist said it in Psalm 75 too. God says, when I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. God's judgment is often delayed, and thank God it is. You know, go back over the years and, and look at the time when you, look at when you got saved. Aren't you thankful for that God delayed his judgment? None of us would be here. But it's going to come. It's going to come. God has brought judgment to the world in many ways in the past. And he will continue to bring judgment to this world. And like I said, the world mocks God's judgment. And, he, and they mock especially the great world judgment that's coming. When you talk about the, the rapture and the, the great tribulation period and, and all the judgment, they, they, just, they, they think it's just so far-fetched. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says this in the New Living Translation. What, you know, and here's what you hear them say. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They say, hey, and we've been hearing that for years. When I first got saved, that's what I heard. You know, people say, you know, my grandma used to tell me that when I was a little kid. I've been hearing it for years. Hey, look, everything's still the same, isn't it? You see, this is the mockery of unbelief. But one day, that mocking believer and that mocking belief will stop when judgment does come upon the earth. Second thing that we see from verse 11 is sin. It, it is sin. It is sin that brings the judgment. Verse 11 says, God's, and, and I will punish the world for what? Their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Sin. Judgment comes because of sin. God has laws, and when men disobey laws, they will eventually be punished. And you know what? Again, nobody's going to be able to say, God, that's not fair. Because God's judgment is fair. Because, you see, God is all-knowing. that He has all the facts. And because he does punish only the evildoers. So humanity needs to become acquainted with God's standards of right and wrong. God's standards of right and wrong. You know, the world today is calling good evil and it's calling evil good. They, they need to know what God's standards are. What is God's definition of evil and good? That's what they need to know. It's not political correctness, correctness that determines God's judgment. But it's sin that determines God's judgment. And then there will be shame for the judgment. God says, notice next in verse 11, I will cause the arrogancy, notice, of the proud to cease. 
A lot of pride going on today. I think there was Pride Month last month. A lot being said about pride. But judgment is going to shame the sinner. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. We have a lot of haughty, arrogant sinners strutting around the country these days who boast about their sin. And they defy anybody to say anything. They defy anyone to correct them. But God's word says their boasting and their arrogance will come to an end when God brings upon them his judgment. And notice, it's his judgment. It's not ours. It's not the church's judgment. It's God's judgment. Many sinners are like those that the prophet Jeremiah speaks about who are so hardened in their heart. Jeremiah 8.12 said they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Isn't that the truth? They're so hardened in their heart, hardened in their sin, that, man, they're not ashamed. They don't get embarrassed. They don't even blush. But all of that is going to change one day when God's judgment lands on these arrogant sinners. And nothing is so humbling as God's judgment. Verse 12. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. This will be a time like it was in the flood, in the days of Noah, when man man will be destroyed, when mankind will be destroyed. It says here, only a few will be left after this terrible slaughter. After, after God judges the wicked on this earth and punishes them, there's only going to be a few men left. Man, would, man will become scarce. And at that time, man will be an endangered species because man will be so scarce that they'll be more precious than fine gold, it says here. Verse, verse 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, God says, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. In order to show... How serious these judgments are. You know, how serious they're going to be. Isaiah is describing here the forces of nature. The forces of nature are as being in such terrible disorder. Notice it says, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place. Only God can do that. The judgment is going to shake the world as a result of God's anger. Isaiah 13, 13, again, it says, the, uh, you know, it says then the, the sky receded. I'm sorry, it wasn't Isaiah 13, 13, but it's uh, a passage. I, didn't, I wrote down the wrong verse, but it says, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So, again, it's, it's going to be a terrible time. Look at verse 14. It shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people and everyone will flee to his own land. The gazelle is a very timid and easily frightened animal. It's also fast and it's also sure-footed. It has to run away from the hunters that chase after it. This is a picture, they are a picture of helplessness and pity. 
Men are so helpless without God. Man thinks he can get along without God. Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. Man thinks he can take care of himself. Man thinks he's self-sufficient. But when that day of God comes, when that judgment comes, he will be as scared and helpless as the hunted gazelle. And he's going to want to run and hide like a gazelle does from the hunter. It says that in Revelation 6, 14 through 17. Listen to what it says. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. So all walks of life, from the rich to the poor, from the, from the ones with big titles to those in the lowest you know, position. It says they hid themselves notice, in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, no, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? It's going to be a horrible time. Verse 15. Everyone who is found will be thrust through and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Not everybody's going to run. Some will be found. They'll be captured. Those who stay behind in the city, they'll be captured. And then a general massacre will take place. Those who are captured will be killed. They'll be run through with a sword. Verse 16, their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Most of us know, who've been around for a while, how cruel and brutal war can be. We have an example of that right here. Only man with the fallen nature can do what the Medes, are, Medes here are, are described doing. Look at it again in verse 16. Their children will also be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. The focus of universal judgment is now kind of laid aside. All right. And Isaiah is describing the horrible things done by this army of depraved men. The little children will be dashed to pieces by these wild, barbaric men. And they do these evil things in front of the suffering parents. You see, wrath doesn't know any boundaries. It says the houses of the captives, they're ransacked, they're plundered, and the men's wives raped. There's no mercy shown in this judgment. Going back to verse 9, notice what it says. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger. Now, for the sake of clarity, the word cruel does not mean that God is cruel. Because see, as you read this, you're thinking, wow, God is cruel. He's dashing babies to pieces. That's not what it's saying. He's saying war is cruel. Right? These are the things that happen in war. Not by him, but by those who are in the war. This doesn't mean, the, the word cruel doesn't mean that God is cruel or unfair or unholy in his judgment. But the judgment is going to be very severe and very painful. And again, God's judgment is not some petty thing. It will be devastating to evil. It will bring a lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering, a lot of loss. But men cannot complain as that because they have, they've been fairly warned about how to live. But here's the thing. When you refuse to live the way God tells you to live, you're going to experience some real problems. And judgment's going to bring a lot of suffering to you. Verse 17. 
Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them who will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. In other words, the Medes and the Persians are the ones who are going to destroy Babylon. The Medes and the Persians became a dual nation together, a mighty empire that conquered Babylon. Isaiah is speaking about what was going to take place in the immediate future here. Of all the nations of Persia, the Medes were the most powerful, and that's why they're named here by themselves. Money and material goods, that's not what the Medes were interested in. They just want revenge. And man, when somebody wants revenge... They can bring a lot of, of, they can bring great cruelty. God says, you know, if you offer them silver to appease them, hey, they don't want it. They don't even stop to think about it. He says, you tempt them with gold, they don't want that either. Paying them sums of money, that's not going to make them go away. They don't, that's all they think about. Revenge. Verse 18. Also their bows will dash the young men to pieces and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children. The Medes carried bows and their bows shot arrows. And those, they, they shot arrows with such force that boys, the future of the people, would be killed. The young men were the future of the people, but they were going to be killed. What Isaiah means by their bows will dash the young men to pieces is that the bows would be the way that the young boys would be destroyed. Even with the infants, the the Medes would not show any of them any mercy or any pity. Verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Here we get to the heart of Isaiah's message. The judgment is directed against Babylon. Just like God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to overthrow Babylon. Now, the judgment is supernatural. In the first line of this verse, of 19, Babylon is exalted. She was the glory of the kingdoms. Now, in the second line, notice it says she's brought down. She's brought down. Babylon is beautiful like an ornament and proud. But Babylon's going to be overthrown like the cities in the plain, like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 20. And it will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian or the nomads pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Desolation will be the result of this terrible judgment. But what's being described here didn't take place right away. Cyrus left the walls in the city of Babylon itself still standing. But the walls were destroyed at a later date when Babylon, about 200 years later, was again conquered. That's when the walls were destroyed. But it wasn't overthrown like the time when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah in destruction. That was with fire and brimstone from heaven. And it was a pretty thorough destruction. So this destruction that's prophesied here that's coming upon Babylon will be a fiery destruction and a total destruction like the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and were totally wiped out. So after this destruction, it it says here that, that it will never be inhabited again. No one will ever live in it again. Babylon won't even be a place that's wanted for temporary dwellings. They won't even want to live there temporarily. The Arabians or the nomads who wander through the desert, they won't even choose to stop there. 
the shepherds, they won't even use Babylon for pasteurizing their sheep, for you know, taking their sheep to pasture there for feeding. Now, this is a strong picture of total forsakenness, total you know, inhabited, uh, inhabited place, total desolation. The world city, Babylon, is gone and there's nothing but wilderness left. That should tell us when we doubt the power of God, just look at the wilderness where Babylon used to be. That's how, it's, that's how God is going to judge the wicked. Verse 21. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there and wild goats will caper there. Now, in contrast to verse 20, where the shepherds won't even take their flocks to Babylon, the wild animals that normally live in those desert places are going to make their homes there where Babylon used to be. They're going to go there to jump and play around and frolic. That's what the word caper means. It says there when the, when the animals will go there and they're going to, the wild goats will caper there. The word caper means, and you've seen, you know, deers and young deers out in the grazing, they're, they're hopping and jumping around, just having a great time. That's what it says there. The, the, the animals are going to go there and they're going to jump and play around there. They're going to frolic in that place. Verse 22. The hyenas will howl in their citadels and jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come and her days will not be prolonged. So at the time in the palaces of Babylon, at one time, I should say, I should say when they were in their glory, in those palaces of Babylon, you'd hear singing, you'd hear laughing. But God's word says the only thing you're going to hear when this happens is the screeching and the howling of wild animals. Those once beautiful homes of pleasure don't exist anymore. They were once places of enjoyment. But when God brings his judgment, jackals are going to live. Jackals are going to howl there. Babylon's time for judgment is close, it says there. And there's no stopping. It won't be prolonged. It won't be long. But will Babylon listen to the warning? Her days of existence are numbered. They won't continue. And they won't be prolonged. In closing, you know what? It's the same for us. Neither will our days be prolonged. There is an appointed time for God's judgment. Our time hasn't come yet either. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 2, but now is the day of salvation. Oh, we can still reach out to the Lord. When we read this chapter, and especially those that aren't saved, may they humbly turn to the Lord in repentance. Because this is a, a chapter is all about destruction, God's, God's judgment upon evil. And when we read it, may we again humbly turn to the Lord in repentance and receive his repentance and his mercy and his grace. And his and as the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a sure thing. That is the grace and the love of God. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We come before you in your word, Father. In God, we pray. God, that we would, again, as we read the destruction brought upon Babylon here, God. Lord, the devastation 
the desolation, the sorrow, the misery, God, the pain, the suffering. Father, that's what judgment does to the wicked, to those who commit iniquity, God. It brings all these terrible things upon them. Father, let us continue to have our eyes upon you, Lord. Father, let us walk with you, talk with you, Father, fellowship with you, Lord. Let us deepen our relationship with you, Father, that we might not be a part of the divine judgment, Lord. We thank you for our salvation, God. We thank you that you have promised to save us from this judgment that one day, God, will be caught up in the air to be with you. And then all hell will break loose on the earth. So, Father, may we examine ourselves. And, Lord, if we sense that need to repent, God, may we do it. And may we focus on you. May you become the top priority in our life, the most important one in our life, God. So, Father, we praise you, we honor you, Lord, we give you glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.